Jessica. Well, children, are you ready to go to your kids' class today? Miss Robin is waiting for you. If you want to put your masks on and head right back there and go ahead and have a great time in class today. Hallelujah. Well, the rest of you all that are in here, why don't you stand right back up to your feet? You know, you partake of the atmosphere that you create. No one, as we've been speaking for the last few weeks about your heart, no one can open your heart but you. You know, you know we can do the best that we can, but our hearts are always our responsibilities. And so before we preach today, we're going to go ahead and we're going to open our hearts. We'll just go ahead and in your own words, in your own way, go say, Father, we just thank you that we can come before you. And right now, I open my heart to receive from you. Go ahead and say that I open my heart. Father, we've come to esteem your word. We've come to lift it up. We've come to draw from what you have for us. We thank you, Lord, that there is nothing that we will face in this world that you are not right there with us to walk us through. So right now, we open our hearts to receive from you. We create an atmosphere of receptivity to you. We close off all those other things that don't need our attention right now. Right now, God, I come for you. I come for you and you alone and all that you have for me. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you say this with me? I am quick. I am sharp. I am bright. I'm good looking. I'm very rich, and I am a major blessing. Why don't we go ahead and stir ourselves on again? I'm quick. I'm sharp. I'm bright. I'm good looking. I'm very rich, and I'm a major blessing. You may have your seats. You might as well speak good things over yourselves, right? Doesn't matter what other people think of you, but what you think of you is very important, right? Well, we've been preaching on the heart for the last two weeks now, and I never intended for this to go beyond one week, so now that we're heading into our third week, it seems like the more and more that I go back over my notes that there's so much more that is applicable right now and that is beneficial that we should take some time for it. You know, God's never in a rush. You know, we, we get ahead of like, okay, we got to, you know, that's one of the things that, that uh, the Apostle Paul warned uh, Timothy about is that in the end times people will have itching ears and they'll heap up for themselves teachers meaning that they, they want more and more and more they want to move on but one thing that I remember one of my instructors uh, Doug Jones saying he's like you should not fear repetition because when you speak a word people caught like maybe two percent of it and so maybe you'll catch a different two percent this time and maybe next time we hit a series like this, you'll see something from a new perspective. And, you know, we often think that we've absorbed it all after one time. I think of how many times Jesus told his disciples the exact same thing, and they still missed it. <laughs> we were talking about a few of those stories last week. But with the heart, we don't have time to go back and review everything we've said for the last two weeks. 
But our heart is basically our operating parameters, our operating programming. It's the things that we've allowed ourselves to be imprinted on us. It's how we respond instinctively and just out of almost like sheer just reaction to the things that go on around us. As we told you that, that uh, neurologists have said that about 95% of our actions throughout the day are subconscious that they just happen out of how we've allowed ourselves to be programmed. And uh, so if we're reacting so much out of just that programming, we should pay attention to what we're programming ourselves with, right? You know, you want yourselves to, to respond a certain way when you get in the thick of things. Yeah. You know, I remember a story of, uh, that was told, I think it was mom that had told me it, about this couple that they were driving down the, the interstate I think it was in Virginia, and uh, as they were coming through in their camper, someone was cutting them off and about to sideswipe them, and the response that came out of them was, Jesus! They didn't have time to say anything else, and they said their car went and shrunk up, and they were able to slide right past and then back out. That is something that is not natural. That is something that is God. I remember a friend of ours, John Trotter, he was going on a dump run with some of his kids, and he had taken a seatbelt, and he had put it around multiple children, which I do not recommend. He was like, we're just going to do a quick run. And as he was going around a sharp curve, going faster than he should have been, the door opened up, and one of his children flew out the door because the seatbelt didn't hold them in. And he had no other thing to say but Jesus. And he said the child just stopped midair and floated as he finished the curve. They followed the, the, the car around and he stayed floating in midair until he got around and grabbed them out of the air what comes out of you in those moments you want it to be God you want it to be faith even in the situation with John he shouldn't have done that he shouldn't have had his kids like that but God is still faithful what, what happens what comes out of you you want your heart programmed to be God responsive and faith filled and so last week we uh, read out of Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 22 it says let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith and having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water and what that speaks to me is that we can program our heart that it is instinctively ready to react in faith, fully believing God. And if it can be fully programmed to always respond in faith, that means that the opposite is also true. We can program ourselves to not respond in faith to the things that God has said. And we read last week that the Amplified Version says, let us all come forward and draw near with true, honest, and sincere hearts in unqualified assurance and absolute conviction engendered by faith. I love those words because it says unqualified, meaning I didn't take time to weigh up all my other options. You know, we have that ability, right? We can think through all of the things, but sometimes that's not a good thing. When you're thinking of all the possibilities that could happen, but most likely never will, I would rather fully rely on what God said will happen. 
that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that he is always there to take care of his children. And the next section of that verse in the Amplified tells us exactly how it happens. By that leaning of our entire human personality on God in absolute trust and confidence in his power, his wisdom, and his goodness. You can lean your entire being upon God. You know, there's that old song just popped up in my head. Leaning, leaning, leaning on the everlasting arms. Leaning, leaning, then secure from all alarm. <laughs> You can fully lean back into the arms of God. You know, I, I think of my own children. Montgomery's like this. He doesn't ask if you're ready. <laughs> he doesn't look around to see what are the things he might crash into. He just leaps, and he expects you to carry him. You know, that's exactly how God is. We can do a leap of faith into his arms, and he is always there to go, I got you. Hallelujah. Well, last week, let's jump ahead here. We were talking about Jesus and his disciples, and we were contrasting two situations that they were in that were very similar, but had two different responses. And most people never realize this, and I've, I've, it took me a long time to realize what Jesus was actually doing with the two sets of feeding of people. In the feeding of the 4,000, we told you that Jesus took responsibility for it. He said, I have compassion on the people because they've been here and they haven't had time to go get other food and I know they're hungry. Let's feed them. And the disciples' response to Jesus' taking of responsibility was, Okay, that's great, Jesus. Where do you want us to get the food? And Jesus said, well, what do you have? And they had seven loaves and a few fishes, and he fed the 4,000. The 5,000 is different, and if we don't look at the details, we might think that they're the same, but what Jesus said is, look, they're hungry. Actually, it was the disciples who said they were hungry this time, and Jesus' response to them was, you feed them. Under Jesus' responsibility, he said, we're going to feed them. Under the responsibility, he said, you feed them. When Jesus took responsibility, their response was, where do we get the bread? But look at their response when it's their responsibility. They said, should we spend three quarters of a year's salary? You notice when the pressure's on you, you think about money. When the pressure's on God, you just think of where do we go to get what you need? Because we know, we know God, you're limitless. You, you, have, you supply everything. But here when the disciples, when the pressure was put on them, they thought about how are we going to pay for this? You know that the source hadn't changed. 
God wasn't expecting the disciples to react out of their nature and their ability. He was giving them an opportunity to tap into his. And he was just as much the source of supply in both stories. But we can look at and limit ourselves and think, what resources am I going to use to fulfill this? God isn't asking you to draw on your limitations. He's wanting you to draw from his lack of limitations. And so don't let the question of when God puts something on your heart, don't say, how am I going to pay for this? Be like, okay, God, let's give me a download. Give me a deposit. Where do I look? Don't let natural things become a limitation when God puts God-sized vision in your heart. And in both stories, the people got fed. Because God always looks to the end game. What was his end game in it? He wanted the people fed. In one, he took responsibility. In the other, it was the disciples' responsibility. The people will always get what God wants to get to them. But sometimes he may have to get you out of the way to get it to them. You know, I, I, I don't like to think about the fact that there's been things that God has told me to do that I wasn't faithful to, and then I saw other people do them, and I was like, oh, that was supposed to be me, God? God will find a way. And so the disciples, they got to learn the lesson twice, even though God's expectation or Jesus' expectation was, I've shown you how to do it, now go ahead and do it. That's how much faith he has in us as his children. He told you it was possible, he expects us to walk it out. But this week I want to spend a little more time on what happens after that. And so in Mark chapter 6 and verse 45, it says, Immediately, he made his disciples. Everyone say made. made. We're going to go back and address that in a few minutes. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida. And while he sent away the multitude, and when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Now, when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on land. And then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Now, about the fourth watch of night, he came to them, walking on the sea, and he would have passed them by. And so we pointed out last week the picture that's going on. They've been rowing for hours. They're going at it. They're not making any way, heady headway. The wind is just pushing against. For every stroke forward, the wind pushes them back, and they're stuck in the middle, rowing and rowing. And here comes Jesus. Hey, guys, how's it going? And would have passed them by. And it says, And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and cried out. And for they all saw him and were troubled. Now, it's interesting, when you see the word troubled, every other time that it's referenced in Jesus' ministry, he says, let not your heart 
be troubled. So where was the source of their troubling? It was in their heart. And it says, but immediately he talked with them and said to them, be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. And it seems like anytime something miraculous is about to happen, those same words get spoken. An angel shows up on the scene and it's like, don't fear. Why? Because everybody's like, ah, this is not supposed to happen. It's outside the realm of natural things. And so here comes Jesus walking on the water and they start freaking out and he has to remind them, it's okay, don't be afraid. And sometimes the things of God can look a little scary from the outside because it doesn't line up with what you think is possible naturally. And so it says, then he went up to them and the wind ceased and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. Interesting. They were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. Another translation says that they were shocked. They were shocked. And the book of John tells a story a little bit differently. It says that Jesus got in the boat, the wind ceased, and they were immediately at the shore. Which kind of tells us a little bit more about why they were shocked. Because that just doesn't happen. But the things that are possible with God are not the same things that are possible with man. And so they were shocked and marveled. And he says, for they had not understood about the loaves, because their heart was hardened. Now, I want to read it out of a different translation this morning, just because it gives us a picture of what is actually going on here. In the Amplified, it says that same verse, for they had failed to consider... Everyone say consider. They had failed to consider or understand the teaching and the meaning of the miracle of the loaves. In fact, their hearts had grown callous and had become dull and had lost the power of understanding. For they had failed to consider. For they had failed to consider what you allow yourself to consider will shape the responses of your heart. They should have considered that Jesus had just done mighty miracles in their midst and that what's one more miracle heaped on top of the pile of all these other miracles. But what were they considering? Well, let's go back to verse 45 because it says, Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat. The King James Version says that he constrained them or put pressure on them, meaning they didn't want to get into the boat. Now, it's not really that hard to figure out why. Let's look at Jesus' disciples for a moment. He's got a bunch of seasoned fishermen who have grown up fishing on this very lake. The thing that this lake is known for is that storms come in very quickly over the mountains and make very crazy conditions out on the water. So they have lived their life knowing how to read when you should go out on the water and when you shouldn't go out on that water. So what were they considering? Because it says they hadn't considered the miracle. So what were they considering? This is not the right time for us to be out here on this water. 
And maybe God speaks something to your heart and you're saying, this is not the time for me to be investing in this market. It's a little rough. When God's telling you to step out and do something new, he's like, well, I've seen all these other people fail doing what you just told me to do, God. And so it doesn't always look in the natural like you should be doing it. But it doesn't change the fact that Jesus told them to go. But they were considering what they had known and what they had grown up with more than what the words of the master had been spoken to them. Two chapters before this, in Mark chapter 4, we had a similar situation where Jesus told them, we are going to the other side. And then they got in the boat and the storm hit. And how did that story go? The disciples freaked out and said, we're going to die. And Jesus said, why don't you use a little faith? Peace, be still. So they've been in this very situation before. And so the disciples, what they're considering is not what they've been told, but what they've always known. Maybe they're thinking, we all know people who have died doing what we're doing right now. But what should they have been considering? Jesus was the one who told us to go out. There must be a way out we're not seeing. Maybe they were should have been considering if Jesus expected us to be able to feed the 5,000 after seeing the 4,000 fed, maybe he expects us to calm the storm as well. If you see the impossible as impossible, it will remain impossible for you. And what you consider is what you think is possible. So I want to jump over to Hebrews chapter 3 this morning. You all doing all right? You can stand a little bit more. In Hebrews chapter 3, we have this verse 1. It says, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. Now that's, that's a great way to start anything. He's telling them, you are not just some nobodies, you're holy brethren, and you are partakers of the heavenly calling. Meaning God, Paul told Timothy that we have all been called with a holy calling, and that we are be, to be partakers of the inheritance in the saints in the light. And so here the writer of Hebrews is reminding them of that very fact. You are holy brethren, and you are to partake of your heavenly calling. And then he says the same word, consider. The apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. So above all, what is the first thing that we should consider in all things? Jesus. What has he said? What has he done? Who is he to you? And who are you to him? Consider Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him. As Moses was also faithful in all his house. And so now we're going to about to contrast two different people, Jesus and Moses. And the writer wants us to know they were both faithful. And he says, for this one, meaning Jesus, has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. So Jesus is a higher level of faithfulness, just so we keep this clear. Jesus and Moses are not on the same level. But there are good contrasts here. And he says, Inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house, for every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful 
in all his house as a servant. Now that should tell you a little bit of clarification. You guys aren't servants, you are sons and daughters. So we're not even in the same class, but Moses was indeed faithful, and for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterwards, but Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm till the end. What is he saying? If we hold fast in faith. So he's giving you the two people we're contrasting, Jesus and Moses. Both were faithful, but had different results. In verse 7 it says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, in the day of trial in the wilderness. So what are they contrasting? They're contrasting the situation of the children of Israel coming out of Exodus, out of Egypt. And he's telling us right now, as children, as sons and daughters of God, don't harden your hearts in the same way they did. It says, where your fathers tested me, they tried me, and they saw my works for 40 years. You know, they saw some great things. They, they were miraculously delivered from the hand of the Egyptians. You know, we know, remember the 10 plagues, we remember the, the Red Sea splitting, and we also remember that when they're out in the middle of the desert, he led them by a pillar of cloud in day. Why? Because it gets hot in the desert, the sun bakes you, so he gave them a little bit of shade. But the opposite is also true at night. It gets really cold in the desert at night, so he led them by a pillar of fire at night. What do we know there's also a lack of food in the desert so he had manna fall from heaven every day when they got tired of the manna and they complained he put a knee deep in quail when they ran out of water because there's not a lot of water in the desert they split the rock twice and so they saw for 40 years miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle and what was their response it would have been better if we stayed in Egypt than die here in this desert so you can be in the presence of miracles consistently and still allow your heart to close off. And so this is who he's telling us not to be like. You know, so we should also think about how we should be responding to miracles. When you see something miraculous take place in your life or in the lives of around you, celebrate it. Make it a big deal. Because put a marker in your heart that as he did today, I know he's going to do again tomorrow. And I'm not going to let my heart helpless and be like, oh yeah, we've seen lots of miracles. We've seen lots of manna fall from heaven. I don't want to eat this manna anymore, Lord. No, every day celebrate the miraculous because you condition yourself to see more of it. And so the children of Israel coming out of Egypt had let their heart grow cold and they'd closed themselves off and become hardened. And verse 10 says, Therefore I was angry with that generation as they said, they always go astray in their heart and they've not known my ways even though they saw his ways every day. So I swore in my wrath that they will not enter my rest. What was the rest that he had for the children of Israel? The promised land. He told them he was taking them to a land flowing with milk and honey, filled with good, 
produce, filled with good land for them to live in. But the hardness of their heart stopped them from walking into God's promise. And in the same way, if we don't tend the garden of our heart, it'll stop us from walking in the promises that God has given for us to walk in in this day where he said that he's got good future for you, good future, a good help filled with good things, that he's going to heal your body because he took it on him by the stripes of Jesus, that he's going to supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. says that he's going to make you the head and not the tail, above and not beneath, but the hardness of our heart will put us in opposition to walking into those very promises. And like the children of Israel, while we yearn for a place of rest, our heart keeps us from it. And so he says, Beware, brethren, lest there be any of you in an evil heart of unbelief, in departing from the living God. Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters, and make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away. Now, it's interesting that it doesn't say turning God away. It says turning you away. Because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he won't change his mind, and he won't change his position of love for you, but we can turn ourselves away from God. But as we were singing two weeks ago, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth shall grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace so we don't want to turn our hearts away we want to turn ourselves every moment of every day which is what the next verse says it says in verse 13 but exhort one another daily build one another up daily encourage one another daily strengthen one another daily remind one another to consider the things of god daily well it is called today meaning don't push off until tomorrow do it while it's still in today and so if you're still in here is september 27th it's a sunday at almost 5 to 12 you still have time today to strengthen yourself in there. You still have time now to turn your heart towards God. You still have moments. Even if you wait another 12 hours, you still have five more minutes. It's still called today. So in whatever moment of the day you find yourself, remind yourself that daily I will strengthen myself and consider Jesus that the Bible tells us he is the author and the finisher of our faith. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast until the end. Meaning, don't let go. Because the, the tendency is that we start out well just like the Galatians, it says they started out well, and then Paul said, what happened that you're now turning? We can start out well, but God is saying, let's start out well, let's continue well, and let's finish well. 
because you've become partakers of Christ. Well, it is said today, if you will hear my voice, hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. So he says the same thing again to remind us. For who, having heard, rebelled? I say, not me. Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt, led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry 40 years? Was it not those who sinned and whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter because of their unbelief. And so unbelief is the leading contaminant of a hardened heart. What is unbelief? Unbelief is having the presence of what God has said about us and saying, I don't know if I can see any situation where that would happen. You know what we do need to do? Is whatever situation we find ourselves in saying, God, you said you would supply, so I'll believe that. Lord, you said you would heal, so I believe that. Unbelief is doing the opposite. In Romans 3, it says, for, for what if some did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? I love that verse because it tells me that it doesn't matter what Jess does to me. If Jess goes off and does whatever she wants, God is still faithful to me because it doesn't change his faithfulness. He says, certainly not, and let God be true and every man be a liar. You know, unbelief is not something that isn't fixable. The solution to unbelief is to feed yourself the word and faith rises. That's what Romans 10, 17 says. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So unbelief is not an unsolvable solution. The solution to unbelief, turn it into belief. When God says something, you say, I believe it. But how is that going to happen? I don't care. I believe it. But I just don't see the root. But I believe it. What do you consider? If you think back to the disciples, so we had the feeding of the 4,000. Jesus showed them. Feeding of the 5,000, he expected them to do it. Mark 4, we had Jesus calming the storm. Mark 8, we see Jesus expecting them to do it. And between Mark 8 and Mark 9, here is what we see happen. Jesus is transfigured before them on the mount. They see him just become completely glorified here on this earth. It says his clothes became, became bleached as whiter than any tanner could do. They saw him in his full glory on the mountain, communing with God. He comes down, he begins to heal the sick. And then in Mark 9, we find the situation where Jesus, he's talking with the Pharisees, and he notices there's a commotion going on. And so he comes and he says, what's going on? And a man says, I brought my sick son to your disciples, and they couldn't heal him. And Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, seriously, guys, come on. Did you not see all the other miracles? Because what was his expectation? I showed you, now I expect you to do. And so he said, bring the boy to me. 
And he goes into convulsions, he falls down, Jesus casts the spirit out of them, him, and he gets up and he's fine. And then the disciples come to him and they ask him this question, how come we couldn't heal him? And Jesus' response was this. This kind, come on, let's go. Oh, don't you love technology? He says in Mark 9, 29, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. And why did he say that? Because in those times, these are times when we consider God possibilities. Most people look at prayer as where I come and give God my list of things I need him to do, but that's not what prayer is. Prayer is before we come before God and we consider his ways. We consider his things. And what you consider will either soften or harden your heart. The word consider is an action, and it means to think carefully about something, typically before making a decision. I think it says typically because there's a lot of people that just act and be like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> but he says typically before making a decision. The secondary definition is to think about and be drawn towards a course of action. So when Jesus says, consider Jesus, what is he telling us to do? Think about him and be drawn towards a course of action. So we read Hebrews chapter 3. Now here in chapter 4, it starts this way. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to come short of it, for indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest. Soften our hearts and just say, God, I believe you. I consider you this morning. Why don't you stand up on your feet with me? God, I thank you for all the things that you've said in your word about me. I know that I am blessed. I know that I am the head and not the tail. I know that you have good things in store for me. I know that no matter where I find myself, there is a way out because I walk with you. And you've ne never met a situation that you can't transform. So this morning, I consider your ways. This morning, I consider the good things that you have for me. And I go ahead and I say, Lord, I receive them because I believe them. Just as your word said, speak to the mountain and it shall be moved. We speak to those mountains in Jesus' name. And we thank you for it. In your name we pray. You guys are blessed. You know, if you would like to partner with us this morning and give, you can do so at wordchurch.ca forward slash give, or we have basket at the back. But why don't we just go ahead and say this confession this morning. This is my seed. I sow it into the kingdom of God. Seed, do what you do best. Grow. I sow you to spread the gospel. I sow you to strengthen believers. I sow you to go where I cannot. I sow you to grow, multiply, and return in great supply. Harvest, I receive you. 
lack, I resist you. His supply is sufficient, and I walk in abundance of grace. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys are blessed. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you all next week.